And whoever allows the Qur'an to dilute into his personality, whoever allows the teachings of the Qur'an to, to take part and parcel in his actions, then the Qur'an shall be a witness for him in the Day of Judgment. Then Amir al-Mu'mineen makes a beautiful point. He says, whoever invests in anything in this world, in this dunya, will stand in judgment in the Day of Judgment. Will have to answer to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala in regards to that which they invested their life in. Whether it was their time, whether it was their energy, whether it was a business, whether it was their children, whether it was a political position, whether it was fame, whether it was any sort of popularity, except those who invested their life in the Qur'an. For Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala honors them. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala blesses them and removes them away from the crowd. Then he says, use the Qur'an to brighten your vision. Use the Qur'an to form your opinions. Use the Qur'an to perfect your lives. And once again, tonight I would like to talk about a principle within the Qur'an that possibly unites the entire humanity. If not the entire humanity, then the majority of the citizens of this earth. A notion that unites the Muslims and the Christians and the Jews and the Hindus and the Buddhists. And indeed, it's not the oneness of God, neither the Day of Judgment. And it is not the prophethood of Jesus, the son of Mary, or the miracles of Moses, neither the Qur'an of Muhammad. But indeed, it is the belief in the Savior in the end of time. The belief in the Savior which comes in the end of time is that which unites all members of all faiths. You see, we as Muslims, 
We all believe in one Qibla, and one Allah, and one Quran, and Qiyamah. But when it comes to those beliefs and practice, we have differences of opinion. But when it comes to that cardinal, that principle of the Savior and the end of time, also known as Al-Mahdi, we find that the Muslims unanimously agree that it is him who will fill this earth with justice in the end of time after it's been filled with injustice and tyranny. Not only that, but it is that which unites the members of Abrahamic faiths. What do I mean? I mean members of Abrahamic faiths believe in many things which are in common. And Allah speaks of this and alludes to this within the Holy Quran. قُلْ يَا أَهْلَ الْكِتَابِ تَعَالَوْا إِلَىٰ كَلِمَةٍ سَوَاءٍ بَيْنَنَا وَبَيْنَكُمْ أَلَّا نَعْبُدَ إِلَّا اللَّهِ Tell the people of the book, let us come to one common understanding which is to believe in the oneness of Allah and to practice and to worship the one and only Lord. The Abrahamic faiths also believe in prophethood. The Abrahamic faiths have many beliefs and practices and worship, acts of worship in common. But in every single one of them, they're not in complete agreement. Even in the oneness of God, we find that the God that the Muslims believe in is one, and the one that the Christians believe in is that which is divided into the Trinity. The prophethood, for example, is another principle that we believe in, but there is a difference of opinion. For the other members of the Abrahamic faith do not see Muhammad as a prophet, but the Muslims witness that he is the last messenger of God. Only when we come to the notion of the Savior and the end of time is when we find that they are all in agreement. And I'll tell you, we live in a world that has been filled and occupied with injustice and tyranny. And it has been struck by poverty. It has been struck by delusions and illusions. There is a global war on terrorism, but yet you find that terrorism grows year in and year out. There is a global war that's meant to secure people and the citizens of this earth, but we find that the death rolls increase every single day. We find that there are an outrageous number of people with lethal illnesses, with poverty, with lack of education, lack of basic human needs and rights, which makes all of those individuals who adhere to different religious sects and faiths thirsty for that Savior, awaiting that Savior. So let me say this. What unites the Muslims and the Christians and the Jews and the Buddhists and the Hindus is not only the belief in the Savior, but we are also united in awaiting the Savior. Not only that we believe 
and the Savior that will come in the end of time to fill this earth with justice, peace, love, harmony, and a peace of mind for its citizens, including the animals, and that utopia. But we, in the same time, await the arrival of the Savior. And that is why I find that the topic of the Savior is by far one of the most important topics that need to be discussed, that needs to be discussed. And the topic of the Savior can be discussed in many ways. It could be discussed through the angle of the teachings of Ahlul Bayt. It could be discussed through the verses of the Holy Quran. It could be discussed through the scripture of the Abrahamic faiths. It could be discussed from a Muslim perspective outside the school of Ahl al-Bayt. And tonight, I would like to examine this topic in the following manner. Number one, the ten signs of this Savior and the Christian, Jewish, Hindu, and Zoroastrian scripture. The ten eminent signs. The ten most powerful and popular signs that the Savior carries. Number two, the three major signs right before the arrival or the return of the Savior. Number three, the three major signs in the very early days of the return of the Savior. And number four, how do we relate the message of Ashura and the message of an Imam al-Hussein to our time being and our relationship with our 12th Imam, Muhammad. sign that I would like to talk about is the mother of the Savior. The mother of the Savior as mentioned in the Holy Bible and the book of Revelation chapter 12 verse number 1. The book of Revelation chapter 12 verse number 1 indeed is a controversial figure. Why? Because Christian scholars Christian theologians have come forward and said when we examine this woman indeed she does the descriptions of this of this woman is not applicable to Maryam or Mary the mother of Jesus so who is this woman and it's a very long discussion let's examine the verse chapter 12 of Revelation verse number 1 a great sign will appear in the skies, and this man after the sign will be the Savior, will be known through his mother. What is the sign of his mother? A woman clothed with the sun, the moon under her feet, and on her head a crown of twelve stars. Now we know that Imam al-Mahdi is not known per se through his mother Najus. 
Everybody knows his mother is Najis. But it's the Islamic scripture. And when they refer to him, they refer to him as the, as the son of Fatima. Al-Mahdi min wildi wa min sulbi Fatima. The Mahdi is the twelfth of the sons of Fatima. And he is known, and his mother is known as Fatima to Zahra, sallallahu wa sallam, the second son. The Savior is from the offsprings of Abraham. The Savior is from the offsprings of Abraham, and this is mentioned in the book of Genesis, chapter 22, verse 18. God says to Abraham, through your offspring, all nations on earth will be blessed. Through your offspring, all nations of this earth will be blessed because you have obeyed me. And we have an extremely similar ayah within the Holy Quran. Allah says, Ibrahim, now you are an imam. Then Ibrahim immediately asks, Oh Allah, allow this imamah to be in my progeny. Third, the Savior is the twelfth ruler from the children of Ismail. So we know that it's from Ibrahim, but through his son, Ismail. Listen to this magnificent verse from the Bible, the book of Genesis, chapter 17, verse 20. As for Ishmael, I have heard you. I will surely bless him. I will make him fruitful. I will greatly increase his number. He will be the father of the twelve rulers. He will be the father of the twelve rulers. And we know that Imam al-Mahdi he is traced back to Ibrahim through his son. Fourth sign, the Savior will carry a two-head sword. The Savior will carry a two-head sword. And that is mentioned in Psalms chapter 149 verse 4 through 9. The Lord crowns the humble victory. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala in the Quran says that he shall elevate those who are weak. Power then will be invested to those who are weak. So Allah is speaking of the end of time and how he then will empower the weak and he will crown them with victory. May the praise of God be in their mouths. And when they receive that victory, they will praise the Lord. And a double-edged sword in his hand. And we know that's, that sword of Dhulfiqar, of Amir al-Mu'mineen, wa Mawla al-Muwahhadeen, Ali ibn Abi Talib, is in the hands of no other but Mawlana wa Sayyiduna al-Imam al-Mahdi al-Muntalam. Oh, 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 oh,
sign of the Savior is that he will have a kingdom greater than the kingdom of Sulaiman. And God speaks of this in the Holy Bible. When he speaks to Solomon, you see Solomon inherited David. David had a great kingdom. But Solomon came and was given an enormous kingdom, the greatest kingdom. But in the Quran and in the Bible, God tells him there will be a kingdom greater than yours. And that kingdom, unlike yours, will last forever. So God says to Solomon, when your days are over and you rest with your ancestors, means you die and you rest with your ancestors, I will raise up your offspring to succeed you, your own flesh and blood. I will establish his kingdom. I will establish the throne of his kingdom forever. Now, there was never a kingdom throughout the entire history. Go and examine any book of history. A kingdom greater than the kingdom of Solomon. And indeed, if, and indeed if it was, it has not lasted forever. So God tells him that one of your offsprings, <coughs> one of your offsprings will rise and he will be given a kingdom forever. The sixth sign is that oppression will be eradicated. And this is spread throughout the Christian and Judeo and Islamic teachings that the very first goal of the Savior is to eradicate oppression and dhulm. Number seven, there will be a sign that will appear in the skies. Once the sign appears in the skies and the call is made, then you shall supplicate for the days of the return of the Messiah will be near. The ninth sign that I would like to discuss, or the eighth sign that I would like to discuss in the book of Basque, a Hindu holy book, that says a just commander near the end of time will come, a leader of angels and mankind, truth is with him, he will fill this earth with justice after it's been filled with injustice and tyranny. The ninth sign is in the book of Shakamoni. It's another Hindu accredited scripture that says, this is unbelievable, monarchy in this earth will end by the son of the best creation of God. The monarchy, the injustice, the oppression will end on the hands of the son of the best creation of God. And Rasulullah, when he referred to Imam al-Mahdi, what did he say? Al-Mahdi min wuldi. He is my son. He is from my progeny. He will be known as the son of Rasulullah. People will refer to him as Ibn Rasulullah. And the tenth is in the book of the Zoroastrians, the book of Jasip or Jasp, and also many references to him in the book of Zand. Someone from the land of Hashim comes with the religion of his ancestors. And that is the man who will fill this earth with justice 
after it's been filled with injustice and tyranny. This is when it comes to the ten major signs of the Savior and the Jewish, Christian, Hindu scripture. Now you may ask, Sayyid, you said that Imam al-Mahdi unites all Muslims. So how come is it that there are many Muslims that mock the followers of Ahl al-Bayt? They say, you have a Mahdi. You're crazy for having an Imam. His name is Imam al-Mahdi. Where is this Imam? How can he be alive? How can he live for so long? And sometimes we even give up to those thoughts. Really, I mean, how is it possible? First of all, have you ever thought how it was possible for God to save Jesus, the son of Mary, until today? Have you ever thought that Prophet Khidr or Waliullah Khidr is indeed older than Isa ibn Maryam and he's still alive, according to all Muslims? But that's not the issue. When we speak to other Muslims, we respectfully pose them the following questions. Number one, Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa alihi wa sallam, according to Bukhari, according to Muslim, says Al-Umara, and another hadith, Al-Khulafa, min ba'di ithnay ashar, kulluhum min Quraysh. The Khulafa after me are 12, all of them are from Quraysh. Okay. Is Rasulullah truthful or was he lying? All Muslims will tell you, no, Rasulullah is truthful. Okay. <coughs> so who was the first Amir or Khalifa? Abu Bakr. Then Umar. Then Uthman. Then Ali. That's four. Then Muawiyah. It's okay. That's five. Are you going to tell me Yazid was six? Come and explain this hadith of Rasulullah to me, you as a Muslim who carries this hadith so many places and so many books through so many references. Come and explain this hadith to me. And explain the other hadith that says, مَنْ مَاتَ وَلَمْ يَعْرِفْ إِمَامَ زَمَانِهِ مَاتَ مِيتَةً جَاهِلِيَّةً Rasulullah says, whoever of my nation dies without an allegiance to his imam, without knowing his imam, dies a pre-Islamic death. Today, who is the Imam of the Muslims? We ask. Is it King Abdullah? Who is it? The only school of thought that not only has those 12 individuals, speaks of those 12 individuals, is the school of thought of Ahl al-Bayt that speaks of those 12 Imams, and they are all from Quraysh, but they're not just ordinary people. They're not ordinary names. According to every Muslim throughout every century, within every historical books, the 12 Imams of Ahl al-Bayt, number one, never went to school. They were never schooled. Nobody can come and say, Imam al-Jawad, Imam al-Sadiq, Imam al-Baqir had a teacher outside Ahl bayt That's one. Number two, nobody has recorded a single flaw for those individuals. 
Not even a single book of history has narrated that those men one day engaged in sin or ignorance. And boy, there's a lot of ignorance amongst others. I mean, if we were to talk about the ignorance in others, then this discussion will never end. The people needed them. They did not need the people. They were not intimidated. They were not afraid. They were the exemplatory and purified people of their time. <clears throat> the entire Muslim schools of thought is indebted to them. لولا السنتان لحلك لولا علي لحلك عمر It was their knowledge, it was their wisdom, it was the vast ocean that they gave to the Muslim world that has been spoken of by Rasulullah The three signs before the arrival of the Imam. Number one, the very famous sign is the killing of the king in Saudi Arabia by the name of Abdullah. And this is mentioned in Sunni and Shia references. That he will be killed, not by the Shia. Not by an army outside of the kingdom, by his own tribe. He will be killed, Abdullah. Then the different tribes in Saudi Arabia will try to put different rulers. They will not, uh, none of them will last for more than months. So they put one, for two weeks he rules, they push him down. Another two weeks, another month, another... Two months, they could not agree on one ruler, so there's going to be a lot of chaos in Hijaz. <coughs> I am not saying it's going to be this Abdullah, even though I really hope it's going to be this Abdullah. But I'm not saying, I'm not, I don't know the future. But I am saying that it will be a king by the name of Abdullah, and he will be killed by his own people. There will be a great chaos in Hijaz. After the great chaos, an army, which is the second sign, an army that has taken control of Sham, which is Syria and Iraq and elsewhere, led by Uthman al-Sufyani, and this is his nickname, not his name, will come to rescue the people and the chaos in Hijaz. And they specifically come towards Medina. This is the second sign, before his arrival. The third sign is the call in the skies. The sign in the skies. Everyone will hear it. Everyone. That Al-Mahdi has returned, he has appeared, you shall follow him and obey him. That's it. And this is going to be in the month of Ramadan. This call is going to be, inshallah, in the month of Ramadan. And what I'm telling you, I can list you 50 signs, but I'm telling you the signs that are evident within Muslim books. 
Whoever has grabbed a pen and wrote about the arrival of Imam al-Mahdi and the signs of Imam al-Mahdi, whether Sunni or Shia has spoken of those signs. So, the army of Sufyani that has control of Sham and Iraq comes and takes full control of Medina for three days. They begin to kill every person from Bani Hashim. Every Sayyid. They will kill them. And they will kill every father of Ahlul Bayt. And that's not surprising, of course. Because they are already doing that. They take the Yazidis and the Christians as slaves, but the Shia will cut their head. And there, they find them a Sayyid by the name of Muhammad. His father's name is Hassan. They kill him, thinking that he is the Imam. His sister comes to his rescue. Her name is Fatima. They kill her. Then they crucify both of them in front of Masjid al-Nabi. The entire world will see this event. The entire Muslim globe will see this event. It will be shocked. Then, after the call, Imam is still in a ghaybah, but different than the ghaybah that he is in today. It's similar to that ghaybah of the lesser occultation, or ghaybah sughra. So he communicates, but he is not fully exposed to everyone. That year, hajj will be very difficult. Because the authorities in Hajaz will not let people come to Hajj. They will, they will feel very intimidated. But many people will go to Hajj. And they will reach Medina, including seven scholars. Sunnis and Shia speak of this. That seven distinguished scholars will go to Medina. They will look for the Mahdi. They will see him, but he will escape them. Then they will see him again in Mecca, but he will escape them. And then after Hajj is done, because he lives in Medina, they go back to Medina, he sees them, and he escapes them. Until the month of Muharram, they're back and forth between Mecca and Medina looking for Imam al-Mahdi. Those seven scholars, seven leaders until they see the Imam in Masjid al-Haram in Mecca at the month of Muharram. They tell him, Ya ibn Rasulullah, each one of us is carrying a bay'ah from 313 of the most righteous, the most noble, the purest, the most generous of our congregations and communities. <coughs> and the majority of those people will be non-Arab. The Imam then takes their allegiance. Takes their allegiance when you, I mean, when we examine history, he does not take their allegiance as accepting of their 313 to be his allies. No, as a general allegiance. So where are the 313? After he takes the allegiance from those seven, he stands there in Mecca and he gives his sermon. 
And he leads his salat. And Isa ibn Maryam, Jesus, the son of Mary, will pray behind him. كَيْفَ بِكُمْ According to Bukhari, إِذَا ظَحَرَ بْنُ مَرْيَمْ وَإِمَامُكُمْ مِنْكُمْ كَيْفَ بِكُمْ إِذَا خَرَجُ بْنُ مَرْيَمْ وَإِمَامُكُمْ مِنْكُمْ Then the Imam will take the allegiance of those individuals and others in public, then he will again go in disguise to protect himself. While that happens, the 313 of the allies, the officials of the Imam will be appointed, will be known by their names. And they will gather with the Imam. And when they gather with the Imam, then this information will be public. And the Imam then will begin his movements. The very first movement is that he sends a man by the name of Al-Nafsul Zakiyah. His nickname is mentioned in the books. That will read a letter from Imam Al-Mahdi. He will read a letter for the Muslims from Imam Al-Mahdi. The authorities there will take him and kill him inside Masjid Al-Haram. And that will be the last straw which will break the camel's back that will be the destruction of the tyranny in hijaz and the imam will appear and the muslims will all be behind him and the very first thing that he does is he has an agreement what's also referred to as a hudna with the west hudna with bilad al-rum and that could be played by Jesus, the son of Mary. The fact that they see him and Jesus, the son of Mary, will have the same miracles that he had, which are mentioned in the Quran. Curing the lepers, resurrecting the dead, giving vision to the blind, and then they will know who he is. And he will speak to his people. And they will all be under the guidance of Imam al-Mahdi. Then he marches the Medina, the uprising, the actual first exposure begins from Medina. And from Medina to where? To Kabbalah. From Medina to the shrine of his grandfather, Al-Imam Abu Abdullah Hussein. And today, in the day of Friday, you read, Ayna Talibu Bidamil Maktoul. He will go and he will stand in front of the grave of his grandfather, Al-Imam Al-Hussein. And traditions say that he will open the grave there on the chest of Imam Hussein. there is a kharqa. He will take this kharqa, this cloth. He will raise the cloth and he will say with what crime did they kill this infant? With which crime? Was Abdullah, the son of Imam Hussein, killed? How is it that we relate ourselves when we hear of our Imam, when we anticipate the return of our Imam, when we see that there are clear signs in the schools, 
and different religions and faiths. It is that which unites all of humanity. How do we feel? How do we connect ourselves with our Imam? Al-Imam al-Hussein enjoyed loyal companions and they were only 72, but look at what they did. They revolutionized the world. They changed the world. So that Imam al-Sadiq, the Imam that is the founder of our school, the Ja'fari school of thought, goes and tells them, Bi'abi antum wa ummi tabtum wa tabatil arkullati fiha dufintum you have gained the greatest of victory, you the companions of Hussein. Why? Because those companions of Imam Hussein were his companions. Imam Hussein, by the way, had many companions. If it wasn't a battle, if it wasn't war, you would see thousands behind Hussein. If it was just Salat Jama'ah, you see thousands behind Imam Hussein. If it was Imam Hussein that had reached Khilafah, you see thousands upon thousands with Imam Hussein. Today we ask ourselves, are we real companions of the Imam? Are we loyal companions to the Imam? Have we done our duty towards the Imam? Do we think of this Imam? Do we pledge our allegiance to this Imam? Or no, we have forgotten that we have an Imam. And we will be amongst those who will shy away from the Imam. Or no, we use the nights of Muharram, Ashura, to repay our allegiance to the Imam the same way that the companions of Imam Abu Abdullah al-Hussein paid, paid allegiance to Imam Hussein. Wassalamu alaikum wa rahmatullah.